welcome to the first episode of the Hydrogen and Electric Power Podcast. I'm your host, Joseph Alfred. I'm the CEO of Ally Power Inc. and the inventor of the Hydrogen and Electric Gas Station, Patent Pending. My co-host today and always is Christina McChesney, and we will be covering the current market for zero emission vehicles. Take it away, Christina. Hi, Joe. It's nice to hear from you today. I would like to start by asking you the question that's on everybody's mind when it comes to vehicles. What do you think will take over, hydrogen or electric? So that's a really great question, Christina, and it really depends on which market segment you're talking about. So if you're talking about passenger vehicles, then electric batteries have a very big early lead. But if you're talking about for the trucking for class six through uh, eight and beyond, hydrogen has certain advantages that electric battery just cannot touch. So some of those advantages are within cold weather climates, electric batteries will lose their actual range. So that's really important when you're talking about long distance trucking, uh, whether or not the battery is going to lose its range. Uh, with hydrogen, it's just you fill up in 30 minutes and you keep the same range no matter what temperature you're actually trucking inside. So you can go on Ice Road Truckers Hydrogen Edition and you can you know, drive your hydrogen truck all across the ice and there's not gonna be a, a change in terms of the, the range of the actual vehicle. So great question, but the market is going to bifurcate for both electric and hydrogen. So there are going to be certain drivetrains in certain market segments, which make more sense. Very interesting to hear, Joe. Thank you. What do you think? Why has hydrogen never made the impact in the market that the electric battery has? So it really comes down to a refueling network. So electric battery vehicles have uh, had a, a, an electric battery charging network. And in the United States and elsewhere, Tesla has been leading the charge in terms of creating a proprietary electric battery charging network, which allows their customers to charge their vehicles exclusively at those locations. So this is a really big advantage for Tesla. And it's one of the reasons why they are the preeminent electric battery car maker in the market. However, hydrogen fuel cell vehicles could have a place in the market if we do focus on hydrogen infrastructure and build that system out as well. So following the same model, it's really important to make sure that the first stations that we actually place are going to be interstate so that it will enable both passenger vehicles as well as trucks to have interstate zero emission transportation. That's actually a great point. Earlier today, I was talking to my husband about investing into some sort of electric car. We like to travel and we like to take long road trips, the lack of refueling stations really stops us from investing into something like that. So that's a very good question to ask. What stops a consumer from getting an eco-friendly car versus a gasoline-powered car? Coming to my next question, what are the current production methods for hydrogen? So that's a, a really great question. So currently in the market, there are the predominant way to make hydrogen is through the steam reformation process. And that's uh, methane. Uh, you take that up to 700 degrees, you add water. 
And you can produce hydrogen at the same time very efficiently, but it also produces carbon dioxide at the same time. So it's not green. So that is offsite generation of hydrogen. Once it's created, you can either use a compressed container trucking system where you're, you're gonna take that hydrogen and you're gonna transport via a, a diesel or a gasoline powered truck to its destination. Or you could refrigerate that hydrogen into a liquid and you can flow it down a pipeline. So you have a few options for how you can actually transport that hydrogen once it's generated offsite. So there's another way to generate hydrogen, which is on-site generation of hydrogen, and that's through an electrolyzer system. So if you use an electrolyzer system, uh, you're going to be using approximately three times as much electricity to power a hydrogen fuel cell vehicle as opposed to an electric battery vehicle. So a, a lot of the pushback in terms of the hydrogen fuel cell infrastructure is why are we going to be paying to build infrastructure that's gonna take up three times as much electricity per car, it, why wouldn't we just spend less money to build out a electric battery charging station instead and then save both the money as well as the electricity to power each individual car. So that's a few of the methods that are currently on the market to produce hydrogen. Uh, I, I really like that uh, story that you you mentioned about you and your husband thinking about the electric car and its advantages uh, and disadvantages. And one of the things that I learned in my four years of in the automotive industry is that uh, range anxiety is really a, a big deal. And that uh, people have purchased hybrid vehicles instead of all electric battery vehicles because of the length of time it takes to charge and then you know what the range of the vehicle is going to be. When we think about where the secondary car market is going to be in a few years, there's going to be a lot more electric battery vehicles sitting around on lots. And as anybody who has worked in that industry knows, when cars don't run, the battery runs dry and it has to be jumped. But if your car's entire system runs on the battery, then it's really going to deflate and, and degrade the battery and that's gonna affect the range of the vehicle. So if you are trying to buy a secondary electric battery car, you really have to be cognizant of how much the, the battery has degraded and, and even though the consequent uh, uh, range uh, of your actual vehicle. So that, that's something to really keep an eye on. That's definitely a very interesting thing to have in mind before purchasing a car. So this common hydrogen economy, why is it different? Yes, so hydrogen has been hyped for a while now. So even when George W. Bush was president, we, we thought that we were gonna have this explosion of the hydrogen economy and it, it never really surfaced because the charging infrastructure is really expensive. So if you're talking about building a hydrogen station, you're in the two to $3 million range of, that's just what it costs for the, all the equipment for, for the construction costs. And electric battery charging equipment is, is much less. So if you're, if you're talking about uh, a, a rapid fast charger, you're, you're talking six figures instead of you know seven figures. So, that is a, one of the key issues and what has stopped hydrogen vehicles from, from becoming mainstream is because of the, the cost of the infrastructure. So 
that is, that is what we think in the hydrogen industry right now. And what is different is that there is a lot more emphasis on getting rid of, of legacy fossil fuel systems that are going to pollute the air. And CO2 reduction is a serious issue and it's taking, being taken seriously by many governments in the world. This includes uh, the United States with the election of Joe Biden as president. He has set forth a very aggressive infrastructure agenda, which includes electric battery charging stations and as well as uh, hydrogen. So we think that uh, the time is really ripe for this technology to come to the fore. And there are certain technologies that are now being developed, which would enable the mass adoption of both hydrogen fuel cell vehicles as well as electric battery charging vehicles. So in terms of building out the network, it's really important to note that, especially in the United States and elsewhere, the electric battery charging network is not up to par to what the coming demand is. Even if every single customer suddenly wanted to trade out of their gasoline powered vehicle for an electric powered vehicle, we would not have a, enough electric battery charging equipment on site to charge all those vehicles. The other issue is if they did that overnight, we wouldn't have enough electricity to power all those vehicles. So it, it's a really big challenge within the next decade to figure out the solutions that are going to be able to survive both the grid impact as well as the consumer choice impact. Thanks, Joe. It sounds like the companies will have bottles on multiple fronts. You mentioned the Biden administration's new measures concerning electric charging stations and hydrogen fuel. Can you expand on that, please? Uh, certainly. So. Right now, it's just proposals on the table. Um, so we don't really know what the, the actual bill is going to be. We have the Democratic side, which is going to be in the, the trillion dollars. And then we have the Republican side, which is going to be in, in around the 600 billion side. So uh, they're fairly far apart right now. And uh, obviously the, the transportation and the infrastructure piece is going to be about uh, repairing legacy bridges bridges and roads. And that's an important part of the, the construction piece that has really been not addressed uh, for a long time. And our infrastructure has degraded to the point where we have uh, bridges and tunnels that are in serious need of repair or uh, replacement entirely. So we, we certainly need to focus on, on those systems and, and fixing those so that we can have the transportation networks that we have uh, grown accustomed to. But we also need to focus on building out a network of both electric battery charging as well as hydrogen refueling. And there have been signs that uh, the Biden administration has shown that they would like to do that. Uh, one of the key focus areas that uh, we are really interested in right now are expanding the the credit uh, cap and trade system. So this is mostly within California, uh, but uh, the electric battery charging stations within California, as well as the hydrogen refueling stations can apply for a credit-based system from the state government of California. So what this means is that once they have a fully operational stations, 
they can apply for these credits. And when they are accepted into the program, they will start accruing them. And these credits can then be sold on the open market to legacy gas station companies like uh, British Petroleum and ExxonMobil and Shell so that these companies can continue to operate their legacy gasoline and diesel stations. They will have to buy these credits from these up and coming hydrogen or electric battery charging stations. So we would certainly like to see this as a nationwide program to be adopted by all the states to accelerate the adoption of both hydrogen and electric battery charging options for consumers. Thanks, Joan. Sounds like quite an undertaking, but let's come back to talking about differences between hydrogen fuel and electric battery cars. What do you think are the advantages of hydrogen fuel cell vehicles over the electric battery cars? So for consumers, the choice between hydrogen and electric isn't as clear because hydrogen doesn't have a lot of vehicles out in the market yet. So the, the consumer choice is really only viable within the Hawaii and California markets in the United States where, where those vehicles are being deployed. But within those markets, the consumers really understand that the four minute refueling time for a passenger vehicle or a 30 minute refueling time for a truck meets and the existing time frame for refueling a vehicle. So you don't have to charge all night your, your electric battery vehicle at your house, or you don't have to charge up to 50% of your electric battery car within 45 minutes to, to get a certain amount of mileage. So this is really key in trying to pass on the convenience of current refueling systems. Uh, the ability to refuel a car in four minutes from a public gas station means that you're not going to have long lines for each of those gas stations. There's a, a plethora of options that consumers have because it doesn't take that long. The, the wait time is, is not going to be so onerous for the consumer that they are just not going to refuel their vehicle. So having this option for, for hydrogen refueling being only four minutes for a passenger vehicle or 30 minutes for a truck really does add the advantage for the hydrogen fuel cell vehicle. The availability of the hydrogen fuel has always been the problem. The refueling time has always been the advantage. That's truly fascinating. And I believe that not that many people know about that. When we talk about green energy, for some reason, people always think that it will take much longer to charge your car in comparison with a regular gasoline car. Jump into my next question. Joe, what do you think, which infrastructure should we focus our time and money on today? So I, I think that the best approach is to focus on both simultaneously. Uh, electric battery vehicles are here to stay in the market. I think that they've proven the that the model works, uh, especially with the direct-to-consumer. There's a convenience there that uh, that certainly has caught fire with a certain segment of the population. The ability to charge uh, your vehicle at home has also uh, made customers for 
uh, companies like Tesla where they are able to uh, have a power wall, they, they can integrate their solar system into a, a, a battery storage as well as a charging system for their car. So for certain segments of the population, that model is going to work and be popular. For other parts of the population, it's not going to work. If you live on a, a multifamily home, for example, if you don't have uh, a garage to park your vehicle, if you park on the street, these are all instances of of real life examples of people who are not going to be able to use those types of systems to transition their, their fossil fuel vehicle needs to an electric battery vehicle and actually go zero emission. So what we propose is building out both at the same time and being a hydrogen fuel cell as well as an electric battery charging infrastructure station so that we are able to service both types of zero emission customers. Great, why don't we expand here? Let's talk about installing a hydrogen refuel station at home. How feasible is it? Is there any time soon we can expect this to be an option? So that's a really great question because there have been attempts in um, earlier stages of hydrogen to figure out ways to to find refueling options for the for the home. So due to you know, regulations as well as just the nature of hydrogen, I don't foresee that home refueling is for hydrogen fuel cell vehicles will become an option for consumers. And that's just because the compress the compression for the hydrogen has to be such that uh, the equipment needed is highly expensive as well as uh, very tightly regulated. What you're doing to uh, make hydrogen into a usable fuel is uh, compressing it to either 5,000 PSI for a truck or 10,000 PSI for a passenger vehicle. That is a lot of pressure to, to place on, on hydrogen. And, and the reason why they, uh, it needs that is that hydrogen is the lightest element in the periodic table. So in order for it to be a fuel for cars, you have to compress that hydrogen down to equal the density that you get from a gallon of gasoline. So the gas is actually dispensed at that high pressure to pressurize tanks within the vehicle. And then that hydrogen is bonds with oxygen within a, a platinum-based fuel cell. And that is how you actually generate the electricity that runs the vehicle. And the only byproduct from that is water. And that comes out of the, the back of the vehicle uh, from vehicles like the Toyota Mirai. Thank you, Joe. What regulations stand in the way of adopting zero emission vehicle solutions? So that's a very interesting question. And it really varies from state to state. So there aren't a lot of nationwide standards for the, the adoption of hydrogen fuel cell vehicles, for example. In our home state of Maryland, there has been a law that's been passed that prevents you from dispensing hydrogen if that hydrogen was made from steam reformation, as I mentioned before, that, that's from uh, methane and water at 700 degrees that creates hydrogen, but it also produces CO2 at the same time. So legislators in Maryland have seen that process and said, why would you want to have hydrogen that 
also created carbon dioxide at the same time. Why, why should we have that as a legal form of infrastructure within our state? It doesn't make much sense in terms of reducing carbon emissions. So since that uh, process and infrastructure is entirely outlawed, you have uh, <clears throat> other options that uh, come into play like electrolyzers that can enter into the market because that, that is a zero emission solution so long as the electricity uh, that is generated and, and used to run the electrolyzer is entirely green. So there are other states like uh, California, which uh, really care about their, their carbon emissions as well. But uh, some, some companies like Air Liquide have found a way to create the hydrogen in other states and then use that pipeline method to transport that liquid hydrogen in state. So they can generate the carbon dioxide in Nevada and then transport that hydrogen into California. So that's their, that's their current plan. And uh, the California state government has allowed them to do that. Other uh, regulations that uh, come into play are uh, actually some very, you wouldn't think that these actually today have been on the books, but it's taken 12 years sometimes for, for companies to, to get to a certain point where they, these, these are finally being reviewed in terms of regulations. So there's an actual uh, laws in several Northeastern states which prevent hydrogen fuel cell vehicles from going under bridges and tunnels. And the thought really is, what if there's an emergency with, with the hydrogen fuel cell vehicle? You know, what are the emergency practices that are going to um, happen? Uh, do we have the necessary training from the, the personnel, the fire and rescue personnel that is going to be able to act in, a, in, a, in, in the event of emergency? So there was some uh, safety precautions thinking when these regulations were written. However, we are uh, looking into removing these, these regulations as more information is disseminated to the actual emergency responders who are going to be at the scene uh, in the event of an accident. On the national level, this might make regulations more complicated. How can we address that while promoting hydrogen energy? Sure, I think that a lobbying strategy should be nationwide and that we should have regulations that are across the board in favor of the adoption of zero emission vehicles wherever possible. Uh, certainly safety is a consideration that should not be overlooked, but these vehicles are incredibly safe and they've been tested for over 20 years now in, in terms of development. So they are in the market, uh, in testing markets in California and Hawaii, and the technology is at a, a breaking point in terms of the, the rapid adoption of these types of vehicles. So the interest and enthusiasm for hydrogen fuel cell vehicles, I think will rise as more and more people get to adopt the technology. Right. So what, what are the companies that really make an impact in the industry today? Sure. So 
the uh, companies that are the biggest players in both the hydrogen fuel cell vehicle side and then in the actual hydrogen generation side, there's a hydrogen council that is a, a global organization that has generated a lot of enthusiasm from both uh, funding sources as well as established companies that have the technology. So the, the founding members of the council are Toyota as well as Air Liquide. And uh, they are both uh, very active in the United States. So Toyota on the hydrogen fuel cell vehicle side, and then Air Liquide uh, is a master in terms of uh, gas generation, including hydrogen. Uh, other uh, really great companies in this industry are Air Products out of Pennsylvania. They are one of the leading uh, hydrogen producers in the entire world. In terms of hydrogen gas stations, there are Iwatani, First Element, and uh, Shell also has some uh, hydrogen gas stations already deployed and operating. So the, the biggest name in terms of hydrogen refueling station equipment is, is Nell Hydrogen. They have uh, a very proud and long history within the industry for providing high quality hydrogen compression equipment. Uh, our a uh, particular partner, however, within the hydrogen fuel cell uh, market, uh, their name is uh, Power Innovations, and they just uh, formed a new company, Renewable Innovations. And we will be hearing from one of their representatives in the second podcast. So uh, we will be able to delve more fully into their unique technology and what they bring to market and why the implementation of their technology is really going to be a key turning point in the rapid adoption of hydrogen and electric battery charging infrastructure in the United States. Awesome. I'm really looking forward to our next episode. Before we wrap up, I wanted to ask my last question though. This is from the consumer perspective, but is it possible to install a hydrogen fuel cell in a car that previously ran on gasoline? So that's a really great question. So the cost would probably be prohibitive to install a hydrogen fuel cell within an existing vehicle. And this is due to what the cost of the tank is. Each of those highly pressurized tanks costs $10,000 or more. So if you're talking about a Toyota Mirai, even a passenger vehicle, that has three hydrogen storage tanks inside. So that's $30,000 upwards in just tanks. So that doesn't count, you know, what the cost it would be to install the fuel cell. It doesn't uh, count the cost of integrating a lithium ion battery and all the, the charging um, interface with, within that vehicle. So it really would not be a cost-effective retrofit to do a, a hydrogen uh, fuel cell. So there are ways uh, that you could potentially have a retrofit of a existing gasoline or diesel powered vehicle. And there have been some attempts to, to make that more mainstream. Uh, nobody has actually done that yet in terms of making it into a viable business model, but it's something that might be on the horizon given that the uh, electric uh, battery uh, bus as well as the electric truck market uh, has a high cost to entry. So if you're talking about, uh, uh, say, a Tesla Semi being $180,000, uh, 
as your you know new market entrant for electric battery truck. So uh, there might be some uh, market, some companies within the market who take a look at that price tag for a zero emission truck and see that as uh, price prohibitive for their operations. However, they're being pushed in some jurisdictions like California to remove the amount of diesel vehicles from the road uh, within their fleets. So they're being pushed in multiple directions toward greener sources and greener forms of transportation. However, the current entrants in the market are, are very expensive and will really take some time to find the financing options that are going to be able to transition your entire fleet to a zero emissions solution. Joel, thank you. That wraps up the episode. I think I speak for all of our listeners when I say that this has been an eye-opening discussion. Thanks so much, Christina, for a really great episode. In the next episode, we will be discussing an interview with a representative from Renewable Innovations, and they will be talking about their new company, their entrance into the market, and what segments their technology brings to the current electric battery and hydrogen refueling industry. Thanks so much for listening. This has been Joseph Alford, co-host of the Hydrogen and Electric Power Podcast. Take care.